God inhabits the praises of his people. That means God will infuse a dimension of his presence into worship, into the atmosphere that is created by worship. And that's largely how people who don't know the Lord will experience him. And so let's worship God with all of our hearts this morning. God, we know that you are great and greatly to be praised. But Father, I feel like sometimes we lose sight of what it means to be in your presence and the things that are available in your presence. And so, God, we say we want more of you today. We believe that today is an appointed time. We believe that today is a Kairos moment when something in our life can shift on this day and never again be the same because you are the God of that kind of opportunity. And so we gladly say, Lord, we will honor you and we will worship you with all of our hearts today. Let's do that. If you're a 40-plus-year-old man and you feel like coming up, I want you to come up right here. 40-plus. If you're younger, back off for a minute. If you're a younger guy, back off. All the 40-plus-year-old men that want to come, come up here. There's something that needs to be broken through by the fathers. There's something needs to be opened up by the fathers. And I want to stand here as a son right now and say that these are the fathers of this house. And they will open up the doors. They will pull open the curtains. They shall open something up for the younger ones. And we come and we support these men right now. We say that your hands have seen the war. Your hands have been trained with the sword. It is now time to stand up, take your sword, and open up the heavens. Because something great is about to be poured out on the earth. And it will come through the ones that they said are too old. It will come through the ones that they said should be put out to pasture. I'm telling you right now, a new rejuvenation in your life is about to come. In Jesus' name, breakthrough. Break loose the heavens. Let all of heaven come down. Let angels be released. Let the kingdom be released. Manifest. Flood. 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 Let heaven break loose like a thunderstorm. Let grace fall like rain. Father, release the knowledge of God. Release the knowledge of your Son. Release the knowledge of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we're asking... Pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out. Dead flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit of God is everything. We say the kingdom is everything. It's everything. It's everything. Oh God, oh God, oh God. I speak a word. I speak a word of establishment. The kingdom of God is established. The reign of God is established right here, right now. We establish it. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. God, bring it, bring it, bring it right here, right now. Come on, let's sing this. Let's sing this like there's something actually to be apprehended, as though we're actually reaching into and touching something that can be touched. Church is about pressing past the marks that have never been before, but crying out to God. He said, seek me with all your heart. And there's a difference between a seeking and a seeking with all your heart. 
And we say today, Lord, we are unashamed to seek you with all our hearts. And we say, God, we want more of you. We want more of who you are. Pour out your spirit. Now, why is it important that we cry out for change? Because we, we say these things in these optimum moments as Christians when we know we're supposed to say them. But what happens is we're going against the grain of the whole rest of our life. What you really want is demonstrated in what you pursue for the bulk of your time, the thing you think about most of the time. And so it's not a matter of just coming to church and say, Lord, we ask for change, because his response is, no, you don't want change. And, and we're, we're trying to dig into our hearts say, no, we do. But what if we don't? Like, how, how long can we keep this up if we don't? So something is being cultivated each time he makes a demand on us to say, when he says, seek me, he wants something to rise up out of us that says, your face, Lord, I will seek. And it's more than in these 10 minutes or in these 20 minutes, but God, we're asking for a change. And even the realization that I do not hunger and thirst for righteousness is something we present to him. We say, God, I, I've, been, I've been seeking you and trying to respond, but I realize I, I don't think I do hunger. So what do you do? God, give me hunger. God, give me hunger. God, give me hunger. God, I want to thirst and hunger and pine for you. I want to long for you. I want to seek for you. I want to be preoccupied with finding more and more of your life. God, I want the story of my life to be an increasing passion for you. Now, the reality is there is no end to this. There is no end to this. And even though there's something in us that wants to get to a place where this part of our life is finished, increasing, expanding this part, there is no end of this. You know, Einstein was lauded for being this genius, and his assessment of his work was not genius. What he said is, it's not so much that I'm a genius, but that I, I look longer than anybody else. I don't stop seeking. I just don't stop. I, he understood that there were mysteries beyond mysteries, beyond mysteries, beyond mysteries, and each of them were available. And so his life manifested a pursuit of that mystery. The core essence of what we are as Christians is people that have been awakened to a reality that there are mysteries beyond mysteries beyond mysteries and that we have been given access to that. But the cost of acquiring them is pursuit. 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 Not just, you know, I go to church this day, that day, whatever. I read my Bible from time to time. I do this. I don't do that. No, no, no. It's all about a heart, a heart 
that longs, longs for him, that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that hunger and thirst for righteousness will manifest in a seeking that is honest and authentic. Have you ever sent your kids for something and they did a, a half job of looking for that thing and you know they did a half job? And you say, listen, I'm telling you, if I got to go and get that thing, there's going to be a price to pay. You're not going to the park or whatever. You're going to bed early. And, and, and they go, I'm looking. That's, that's often how we do church. We present ourselves in that way. But as when we're spiritual, we don't realize the authenticity of a heart that genuinely hungers we learn the routines of what it looks like to seek. And we think, wow, that's, that's what we do in my church. We, we sing these songs. We need, but is there a difference between learning a routine that looks like seeking and actually seeking? What does it look like? Because the last days are going to be characterized not only by a glory and a majesty of God that is revealed on earth as it is in heaven, because that's what we're praying for, but it's going to be manifested by a people who seek with all of their heart, a people who will be volunteers in the day of their power, who will let God point by point begin to address those things that pull away the energy of our heart toward other things. So that we can come together in moments like this and cry out to him with all of our hearts. Lord, we want to be that people. We say, Lord, we give ourselves today and we say, teach me. Teach me. And I'm going to tell you, you know, as a young believer, I was zealous and I quickly mastered the routines. I quickly mastered those things that showed people I was one of those hungry guys. Not because I was that hungry, but my ability to demonstrate the, the, the techniques of seeking was greater than my actual thirst. And then the next thing became, I need to show you that there is a, there is a gap between what you evidence in your seeking and what you actually are seeking. And it seemed like a step forward and then several steps back, but that several steps back was not a step back. That was a new awakening. It was humbling and it was demoralizing one sense when I realized I was not the man I thought I was, but that was the key to release me. Maybe somebody here, maybe that's what God is doing right now is you're in the midst of realizing that and you're shying away and you, you don't want to admit that to yourself. There's no avoiding it because if you want to be free, the what will set you free? The truth will set you free. So God, awaken us with truth. Give us more truth, painful as it might be. Awaken us with your truth. Amen. I heard the Lord say to me uh, in the last couple weeks that there was a pride in me that said, I've seen that before, or I've heard that before. And so how this came up was in a couple conversations. Uh, Pastor Mark will often ask me how Sunday was or how Wednesday was. And sometimes I couldn't answer. I couldn't even remember. And I found that those were the, those were the Sundays and Wednesdays that something happened that I already agreed with, or maybe I thought I'd already learned. 
And so I kind of shut off on those. When it started, I was just like, yeah, I've seen that. And, and then I just kind of wander off, and I wouldn't engage in that thing. And so when he's talking about Einstein keeping on looking, there, there has to be a humility in us where we say that we have not arrived yet, where, we, where we'll stop and say, no, I haven't learned everything there is to know about this thing yet. And we will choose at that moment to engage in what's going on and say, I have not arrived yet and I need to learn more, and there's more there for me. And so, um, and so God, I just want to say that I'm sorry for this pride that's in me that always wants to arrive at something and be acknowledged for arriving at something that I've gained a step, I've gained a stature, and everybody should acknowledge that, okay, I'm here. And I want to say, God, that I want to continually choose to humble myself before you, God, and say, there's more. I want to learn more. I want to draw near. I want, <laughs> I want your heart, God. And it's pretty obvious to other people that I don't have that yet. Sometimes not so much to me, but give me the courage, God, to choose to be humble before you and say, God, teach me. Teach me, God. Amen. First, I just want to say to, well, I've said 40 because there's more, like more men that are 40 plus, but 50 plus. I have a word for you. And it's that don't think it's over. There's actually a weight that the Lord wants to, okay, listen, everyone that's over 50. There's a weight that the Lord wants to release and he needs you to carry part of it. There's, it's too heavy for, for the younger ones to keep carrying. So don't think you're done. Don't think it's over. There's actually more to carry. And he's going to release it through you. I just want to honor all those, the, the fathers really, in this place. Because without you, it's going to be very hard to carry what we need to carry. And so as what you just heard Murray pray and what Pastor Mark was saying, don't discount yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. This is the time we need you the most. So I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to come up front. I encourage you to grab the younger ones and pull them out of their place. Everyone under that age, you have a right to grab us and pull us forward. Do You do. That's part of being a father. You wouldn't just expect your own kids to figure out how to do everything on their own. There's times you needed to grab them. And we just say that we honor those people, those men. And for females, women in your life too. It goes both ways. But I think there's a time right now that you're going to see an increase of this going on in this body. And it has to happen. If we're actually going to keep breaking through what we need to break through. Amen? There are so many things running through my heart today. I feel like the Spirit of God is touching on the things that he's wanting to do inside of us. And, and I, I, I want to say, I want to challenge you. There's treasure on the other side. Whatever it is that God is trying to bring you into. And I saw this morning around worship, God leads you into 
the deeper life or things that he wants you to experience beyond what you already have experienced by a, a system of diminishing returns. Now, it it is, you may say, well, that seems to be the most carnal way. Or, And so if you've ever experienced anything of God at some point, any truth, any reality, anything that, that has like seized your heart or made you want more of God, that moment, whatever that thing was, was part of an awakening that God was bringing to you. And, and what he does, then he, he settles you into the normative uh, parts of that so that it's, a, it's, it's sort of a part of your everyday experience. But seeking God is like doing drugs. When I did drugs as a young person, which I don't recommend, uh, I just, the highs were never enough. The, 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 you always needed more, and that's the sinister part of that in the kingdom of darkness. Now, why does that exist that way? Satan is bringing you into an experience that's higher and higher and higher, and what is on the other side? What That apex that you're seeking is actually death. And that's the trap at the end. It's that thing that's just elusive, just another experience, just a little more of this, or that, and death is on the other side. Well, he's muddled that after the kingdom of heaven. When he, you know, everything Satan does is an aberration of what God does. He, he, he takes something God did and twists it to his end. But so what is God doing then for you? Is he's, he's, he's trying to get you to take another step into him. Another step to want more of him. And, and in so doing, and what happens is, is you start to die here. You start to, you know, the requirement of life so that you, you know, it's just not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. And what God is trying to do is get you to take a step. That's really hard to do because usually in our life, we, we think it's others ministering to us that should provide that next thing. Right? Because often when you're a young Christian, that's what it is. A lot of the blessing you get is via this conduit of a person in their ministry and their faith and etc. So what happens when you start to mature, why it becomes harder is the onus becomes increasingly on you to actually take that step. And God purposes, purposely doesn't allow the faith of that other person to be the bridge for you. But he now is requiring a new kind of obedience. And that obedience is usually surrounded with a kind of, of, of death. Like there's, there's a price to be paid. You have to do something that you don't want to. He's usually, you know, it's like I was trying to think of an illustration when we were worshiping because I felt like God was pointing at strongholds in people's lives. And strongholds are like weights, you know. Imagine if you're going to run a, a marathon and you're pulling a wagon with, you know, 180 pounds of beef on it. That's harder than if you cut that off, right? It's, it's harder. And so, except it's not, as, it's not that evident that you're carrying all that weight. You, you know, and you don't even know what that weight thing is. It's a condition of the heart. It, it could be initially when you're younger, it could be a sin, could be judgmentalism, could be a, uh, uh, you know, all these things. But he's, 
So he's saying, yeah, come into my presence, come into my presence, you're coming. It's, oh, this is great, this is great, it's great. And then you're like, I can't go any further. Yeah, because this is the new threshold, and after this threshold, that particular weight that he's pointing at cannot be permitted through. And so you get stuck there, there's a plateau. And experientially, you're not going anywhere. You think, what's wrong with this church? What's wrong with the people in my life? Maybe this thing isn't what I thought it was. And it's a choice at that point, because God is doing a multitude of things, a choice to break some unbelief, because there's an opportunity to believe something that's false at that point, or an opportunity to kill the false thing, in which will result in a greater faith, which will result in that access that you wanted before. So uh, today I felt very significantly many of us are in that place. And just close your eyes right now. And I say, Holy Spirit, identify for us the things you're pointing at in our lives, whether in this moment or this week. But Lord, we want to set aside the, the weight that so easily besets us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we say, God, we want to know and we want to deal with it. Amen. So um, there is this collective journey we're on in that sense, but there's an individual aspect where we're going and God is wanting to give us more, but the cost is, is greater. Now, there's another part of something, and this is, this is part of, I think this is number, sermon number three of eight this morning. Anyway, this, so this morning I was, I was sitting, standing here and I'm worshiping. And one of the things I feel all the time is I feel the default tendency that we have as people, and um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily evil, it's just human. And, uh, and so I, I feel in one sense as we're pushing into the presence of God, we're fighting against a, uh, um, a leaning that we have. And that leaning this morning came, became very evident to me Suddenly I heard the scripture, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. And, uh, and suddenly it hit me in a new way, and maybe this is not new to you, but, and I, I knew this to be true already, but it just became freshly. But imagine this, uh, well, let me, let me back up. We have a wrong idea what it means to wait on the Lord. There's a wait, the word wait in English means, you know, just the passing of time, but it means more than that. It means serve the Lord, wait on the Lord, right? And so... Uh, I had this picture of, of this, you know, you're, you're driving down the road, you're hungry, and all of a sudden you see a, a, a big elephant costume and a guy's waving a, a sign that says, good food, great service, good food, great service. So you think, oh, I'm going to go in there. So, you know, you pull in and, you know, the, the elephant seems promising. <laughs> and so you go in there and you go to the table and uh, there's nobody to take you to a seat. So you say, well, I guess it's seat yourself. So you go and sit, sit down how long do you wait before you leave if nobody comes, right? How long, when you're, you're, you're waiting, you're passing the time, and, uh, and you're waiting for that guy to come and wait on you, okay? Uh, he's supposed to be waiting on you, but you are waiting, okay? And, and I think we've done church that way, where we come to church and we're waiting on God, Wait, waiting, but we're supposed to be waiting on God. Does that make sense? When John had his vision of heaven, he says, ten thousands of ten thousands were before his throne and ministered to him. 
ministered to him. They were waiting on the Lord. They were serving his need, not because he's a big ego, but because in his presence they realize he is the only one that should be waited upon. But we've created a system in church largely because of appealing, needing to appeal to the humanity of men, where we have created a system of ministry where we up here and up here wait on you. And we've done a large disservice to the body of Christ, partially in that, is it wrong to help baby young believers? No, it isn't. Uh, we're, we're, we, you know, in our gifts and our ministries, there is a service element to that, but not to create dependency. But, you know, the, the, uh, the enterprising church has made a whole system and a career and a out of, out, of, out of serving the needs of the people. And the guys who can serve the best end up with the biggest churches. You know, because we just make it easier and easier and easier for you to be here. And again, some of that's not bad. But if, we're increase, if we are increasing the appetite to be waited upon, when does the turnaround come? Like when does that person begin to become the servant of all? If, if the basis on which all advancement happens is catering to the masses. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's this oxymoron in some spent sense. It's, it's counterintuitive because, because when you start to advance in the kingdom of God and God gives you a capacity to do something for others, at the beginning, you really relish that opportunity to serve somebody in that way, whatever it is. If it's a ministry, you prophesy over somebody and they get blessed. It's like, it's a great thing, right? That, that exchange of like, ah, that was so great. Yeah, I know, that was great. And I feel fulfilled doing that for you. But that's not where it ends. That's great that I fulfill, feel fulfilled doing that ministry for you in that moment. But, you know, eventually you got to grow up and start doing some things for yourself. At some point, mom in the house has got to become redundant. Right, Wend? Right? Eventually, you want to raise adults. You, want, you don't want kids forever. And so, so the question is, you know, are we doing that in church? Are we, okay, again, I think we, we've done the one where we're, we're finding our ministry and our, the way that we can wait on others and serve them. But the heart of the church, the heart of worship, the heart of the kingdom is the whole earth waiting on him. And so let's turn it around for a second. How many churches does God, as he's going down the road of life, hungry for worship and acknowledgement so that he can pour out his glory, he sees our elephant signs and he comes into our houses and our, our restaurants and he sits at the table and nobody waits on him. But God comes into our restaurant, our establishment, our church, and where we are called to wait on him, and we're wondering why he's seated. And then we're wondering why he doesn't stay. His presence doesn't linger because there's man-centric worship and there's God-centric worship. And it's not easy to move people from man-centric worship to God-centric because the truth is we are man-centric. We are egocentric. We, we, we want, I mean, when we get saved, it's because we sense something beautiful. Oh, I want some of that. Right? It's the basis in what we, which we do anything. We go back to a restaurant. Why? Because we hate it? No, but it does something for us. 
And when things, restaurants stop doing something for us, we stop going there. Our whole life is based on this black hole need to be served. And the kingdom of God is reversing that polarity so that you begin to give instead of receive. And that's the heart of that, you know, thing that Paul said, I think. It's better to give than receive. Because the essence of what God is trying to do is change the polarity of your life. I mean, think about it for a second. How many of you ever been in love? You have, ever have a crush on... Okay, let's talk to the youth. Anybody ever have a crush? Anybody currently? No, don't say that. <laughs> You know, I remember as a teenager, and I'm going to speak in fairly, you know, straightforward terms for me, but when I, when I had a crush on a girl... It, it, I was compelled, and I wanted to, to make her happy, but it was so that I could have her, right? I wanted her because how she looked or whatever, she, how she made me feel. I wanted her in my life because, not, not because I loved her, but I wanted to possess her because of what she did for me. That's not love. That's how the world, that's why divorce is rampant because we get into this relationship and that person stops doing that for us and we're like, well, I guess it's over. The magic is gone. Let me tell you, it wasn't magic. <laughs> and that's, that's where you actually learn to love. Love is counterintuitive to fulfilling your need. In the, so the same thing that God is trying to do in you to get you to love people is the same thing he's trying to do in you when he's getting, trying to get you to worship him. To go against the grain of something that is self-centric. Now, the way that we are self-centric in that way is going to be different from one person to another. And so the path that God's going to take you and, you know, as he's calling you out of these things is going to be different. But ultimately, it's the same issues. But there is a church arising that will worship him, that will follow hard after him, that will make him the center. And, and, hallelujah, will be rewarded with incremental releases of glory and presence that stuns creation. It's just that we don't want the next incremental level to be our plateau our last one. We don't want to be looking. Once I have this, I'm done. Because that's inside. That's the thing. There's something in us. Just like uh, Murray was saying. There's something in us. An, uh, a desire to achieve something. To say who I am. Then I'm done. And it's particularly true of males. Over 40. Into 50. So it's kind of interesting that the Lord sort of. Focus on that because I, I, I see that now in my life because I think, I think you know, there is, there is this promising downward slope that, you know, you've done really well. You could just coast from here. You know, like just sort of fade out. That's a different thing entirely. But I want to say to the Lord, I want to say, God, we want, we want your, your kingdom. We want your ways. So, uh, thank you, Father, for perspective as you're calling us to death. I hope that we'll know in those moments over the next weeks and months what is going on. Amen.
So that's what I was seeing around worship this morning. But there's a couple other things I wanted to talk about. I'll see if I can... It, it does merge together on some level, kind of like this book. It all agrees with itself. But this morning I was thinking about this, and here's a statement for you. Water finds its own level. Water finds its own level. Um, Wendy and I have a joke in our family, a standing joke. If you're around us at all, you'll hear this at some point. But we were, um, we were playing cards. We were playing cards with Wendy's family out at uh, Pigeon Lake. And um, anyway, we're, we're going around, we're playing cards. And then suddenly out of the blue, Wendy's grandma says, I hear the walnuts are fresher at Safeway. <laughs> we're like, what? You know, and, and uh, we're trying to think, you know, what, <laughs> what relationship does that have to the current conversation? You know, it's just like, and, we're, and I can't remember how long it took, but I think it was Wendy that realized that about five to ten minutes earlier, we had started to talk about fresh fruit. And what happens is, you know, as you get older, the, 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 the inner mechanics of things don't work as fast, right? And so what happens is it took that five to ten minutes for her to come up with something in order to enter into the conversation. It was, but it was delayed significantly, right? And so, you know, while she didn't realize that her processing speeds had slowed down that much and that the conversation had covered a lot more ground after that, so she just, you know, like, I hear the walnuts are fresher. So anyway, when we're in a situation and somebody seems to come up with something random, you'll hear that. I hear the walnuts are fresher at Safeway. Now you know what it means. Why is that pertinent to us? We all want to find our place in things. We want to find our level. Water finds its own level. So uh, uh, in terms of maturity, the reason why when you're a teenager, you're attracted to a certain kind of other person is because it's closer to your level. Okay. That's why parents, let me just say this. When you say, my kid's not bad, it's just he got in with some bad kids. He was drawn to those bad kids because he was like them. Okay. There's some commonality. That's the way it happens. So it wasn't all the other kids are bad and yours is good. He just happened to, you know, got caught rioting. It was a momentary thing. But we find our level. We find, and, and we long to find. It's that, that, that cheers theme, you know. Everybody wants to, to be at a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came, right? You want to find those circles, and you want to find that, that reference point for yourself. I realize, what I want to touch on for a second, is it's true in terms of the natural and it's true in terms of the spiritual. That naturally, uh, when, you, when you are with a group of people talking about something, and you got one person dominating the conversation for 20 minutes about a theme that you know little, and telling you all the different, you know, vintages of wine from that year in that region and all the exact, you know, this is what that is. Everybody in the room, you know, we can listen for a while, but eventually you want an entry point. You know, eventually it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, I was in France once. I saw the Eiffel Tower and, and our French is, hello, bonjour. Because everybody needs an entry point. That what happens, though, is, is that when it comes to bodies of knowledge, right, 
we have an area of expertise and we tend to want to go towards that area of expertise because it creates a place of significance for us. Not only in the conversation, but relatively, you know, the, the byproduct of being a part of a group of people where you are seen to be, a, you know, an instrumental part of that. You can enter the conversation, get out of the conversation, participate in the conversation. It, it's, it feels like home, right? So we find these circles, right, of comfort level. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. But what I felt the Spirit of God saying to me, listen, I'm looking for a family that's comfortable with my level. I'm looking for a group of people who can come in to my world and we can talk about what's important to me. Now, you think, well, how likely is that? Well, maybe not likely for where you are right now. That you know, God might have to dumb it down a little bit for us, which he has done all your life. You know, Winky Prattney, so the Bible is God for dummies. God for dummies. Because God is always dumbing things down. But his whole thing is, I want to bring you into my world. I want to bring you into the things that are comfortable to me. But we have this inclination when we can't, we, when we can't fit in that to change the conversation to something more appropriate. Well, I don't know about, you know, wine vintages. Let's talk about NASCAR, right, Henry? Yeah, Let's talk about engines. Let's talk about torque. Let's talk about, you know, Kansas City House of Prayer. Let's talk about skateboarding. Let's talk about, I don't know, right? Something that makes me feel integral to the moment. The walnuts are fresher at Safeway. Uh, here, here's, here's what I was feeling. Turn to, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Now, I'll throw out a number of different passages that if you know your Bible and are a Christian, you'll realize they're from the Bible. But let me, let me, uh, let me read this. It says, pursue love. Oh, it's 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. That, that, that counsel still stands today, by the way. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So I want to hit in, uh, for, in a few minutes 1 Corinthians 14.2. But this is the thing. God is spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship, and he's, he's seeking, it says, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is really the outflow of that desire that God has, that he would have a circle that there are things in the heart of God, the way he is, the way he operates, that are not our ways. They're his ways. They're not our ways. And what he's looking to do is, is create a people, not just to say, to them, yeah, your ways are not my ways. But he's saying, listen, I want a people who are so wanting to align with me that I can make my ways their ways. And that is your journey as a Christian. But it's hard. It's hard to be in a room talking about something you don't know. For a long time, and everybody else is contributing, and you have got nothing to contribute. So what do you want to do? You want to change the subject and go to a water level that makes you feel comfortable. Let me tell you, your journey in the kingdom of God is saying no to your level in favor of his. Over and over and over and over and over again. Is that easy? That's hard. Because there's something about sitting in a room with a bunch of physics geniuses talking about something you got no clue right sit around and talk with perry Cundert, you know and i mean he's not that highfalutin but he could be right 
So how comfortable is that? Like, the tendency is want to, you know, you're looking for an opening. You know, is there a word in there? Electricity. I, I know what electricity is. It's electrons, right? So we're, we're looking for that in. Why? Because we want to find a place for ourselves. Let me say it again. The kingdom of God at work in your life is shifting so that you're comfortable with making a place for him and not making a place for you. That's the heart of what he wants to do in your life. That's why worshiping in spirit and in truth, he's looking for those kinds of people. Because the requirement to do that, you are not spirit in the way he is spirit. And when you become born again, your spirit becomes alive, but you still have all the other impulses, right? Like hunger, like going to the bathroom, like fallen nature stuff, personal interests, emotions, all these other things that may not be the same as him. And we find it natural to orient around who we are. And God is saying, my kingdom is about orienting around who I am. And what he starts to do then, he says, he starts, he, he says this is the value he puts out. He said, whatsoever is born of the spirit is spirit. And I've called you to be a spirit people. You've been born again by the spirit. Your spirit has come alive. What that means is there is now an ability to intuitively connect with the realm of the spirit. But I've spent all my life learning to connect with my mind, learning to connect with my appetites, learning to connect with my feelings, learning to connect with everything else. And now all of that's got to be set aside to connect with the spirit. I don't even know how to do that. Well, let's just do, you know, that's maybe a little tough. Why don't we just make a church where we talk about spirit, but just appeal to everything else? That's kind of what we've done, right? But God is looking for a spiritual people because he knows that whatsoever is born of the spirit overcomes the world. What overcomes the world? Whatever is born of the spirit overcomes the world. Every, that's why he said all that's in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All of that stuff, which appeals to all of our senses, all of our you know, pride of life. What is it to want to be significant in the midst of a group of people other than the pride of life? God's putting, trying to, there's an appetite we have for that. God's trying to kill that and say, listen, you're my son, my daughter. I'm speaking to that to you in spirit and life. That's a truth. You can connect with my world by identifying with that truth. Yeah, but it's easier to identify with skateboarding because, you know, visibly, you know, I do that special trick and everybody goes, Ooh, and I am significant now. All the spirit stuff is ethereal. It's not, it's not quantifiable. So we always trying to substitute something ethereal for something quantifiable. I am now a Pentecostal. I lift my hands. That's my go-to thing now. Look at me. I'm fitting in, right? It's an outworking of that need to find a, a water level. And God is saying, listen, there's more than that. You can be led by the Spirit. You can know what it means to be in the Spirit. And I've said this again and again and again. When John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord Day, that wasn't just, you know, uh, you, know you getting in the Spirit of Christmas and putting up some green and red things. Is it very different? You know what I mean? I realized recently that's, that's what people, when they think about being in the Spirit, it's like, well, being in, in the Spirit of Christmas. You know, sort of a, a general feeling, you know, a mood, yeah. It's kind of, you know, the Spirit of giving, you know, general tendency. No, being in the Spirit is, is very specific. The experience of it, you can know to the point where you could say, like John, I was in the Spirit. Because... You can't say you weren't in the Spirit unless you know when you're in the Spirit. 
And John, that wasn't just colorful Christian language. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day because he knew how to connect. Now, try and wrap this up here. The, on Friday morning, we were, uh, a group of us were praying together. And I was encouraging at one point, and we were praying in tongues. We were doing what it says right here. Now, let me, let me read this to you again. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. There's something about praying in tongues that's counterintuitive to finding our place because we don't understand what we're saying, right? You know, when, you, when you're praying in an unknown tongue, in another place, Paul said, I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my understanding. But here's, the, the praying with the spirit is not praying with the understanding. That means you don't understand. Okay. Well, how do I know it's valid then? How do I know it's real? How do I know, where does it fit? What's its water level? And this is the thing. God is trying to unlock the capacity of your spirit's intuition to know spiritual things as valuable merely because you only sense them in the realm of the spirit. You remember when Jesus said, uh, who touched me, right? Who touched me? He said, I felt power go out from me, okay? Now, is that, is that did, he, like, did he feel shivers? Did he, did he get a, what happened? Or was it just this subtle explosion of life in his spirit? He thought, oh, somebody got something. Well, how do you do that? How do you develop that intuition? How do you, you know what you do? You got to starve the other stuff. And you got to embrace this one. So what I've encouraged people, I said, well, you know, how long do you pray in, can you pray in tongues before you have to come up for air? Can you worship in spirit? At what point does it, do you have to cry out, the walnuts are fresher? I got to go back to something relevant to me because there's something oddly unfulfilling about the spirit until, 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 until there's a level of maturity in your life where the spirit starts to be more fulfilling than everything else. And I want to say to you that that's available. That is, that is available to you. Not just as a, you know, I hope this works, but literally, literally in your life, these things that are esoteric, that are unspecific, that are phantom-like, start to become concrete in your life. But it takes, it takes a dying in order to have that resurrection. Why is it important? Because everything that God is going to do is going to be through your spirit. You know, I'm not, I'm not wanting to put the kibosh on anything, but, you know, when you give a guy five bucks because you feel good giving a guy five bucks... That's as useless as anything. I mean, he'll still enjoy the five bucks, but it's not a spiritual act. It's not born of the spirit. It doesn't advance the kingdom. And what God is trying to do is trying to find a people who are spirit-led. As many as are led by the spirit are children of God. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a great moment, yeah? Because, wow, how often am I spirit-led? Am I spirit-led at all, ever? And that's a great question to begin to ask. Why? Because the objective of this whole thing is to transfer more and more of your focus and your energy and your attention to what is spirit. That's the whole journey. Because everything else is passing away. Because God is spirit. 
God is spirit. Well, sounds hard. Well, it is and it isn't. It's amazing. The life of God, the spirit of God. I mean, it's, it's like, you know when you taste something you really like and the taste is so intense? Imagine if you had a hundred more taste buds. I don't know if you can even imagine that. But just the ability to take in on a much broader basis the same thing you used to take in. Conversely, and I've used this illustration before, people who smoke, they lose the ability to taste. Then they stop wanting to eat food because it doesn't taste good. Expanding the bandwidth of your spirit means enjoying the Lord and spiritual things and invisible things more and more and more. So that when you come to church and people are going, ah! it's not just an act. Oh, I guess that's what we do in this church. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, this charismatic church, Pentecostal. Okay, talk some gibberish. Every once in a while, jump up and down. Whoa! Whoa, am I doing it right? All of that, what if all of that stuff was real and not just a style or a culture of a particular group of people? I used this illustration years ago, but you know, when the mime is doing his thing, what if it, the mime was actually touching something you just couldn't see? That's what worship in spirit and truth is. It's not pretending you're touching something, but actually touching it. That's what faith does. It makes what is otherwise not concrete, concrete. That's why it talks about seeing with the eyes of faith, seeing what cannot be seen. Hearing what cannot be heard. Interacting which, with things that cannot be quantified. It's far easier to give people an emotional experience. To stimulate their minds. To give them something to do. All of those things are great in their context. But God is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. And it means finding those moments when God's saying... There's no entry point for you to feel important here. Die. Make it about me. Let me have my circle and you come into my circle. God has invited us into his circle. We stop creating other circles. We say the kingdom of God, your order, your life, your preferences, what you love, these are the things we want. So Father, I want to thank you that you've invited us on this amazing journey. We are so privileged, God. We've all, we're lost in so many things. Even along the journey, we've been distracted by so many things. And you, you kept from us things that would have made us feel important. We didn't even understand it. Maybe we were even mad about it. But Lord, today, you're making it clear. I I'm reserving you for what's most important to me. I'm drawing you into my world. Lord, we say yes. We are willing. Amen. Now, one last thing. One last thing. A part of that 
Let me back up for a second. This is, this is for the church here. Because I believe this, I have to keep saying this because I, I believe we are hitting a different season in our church. I gave an illustration some, some months back about a, from a guy we know named Dennis Peacock who is a black belt. And he said uh, what they used to do when they practiced their, you know, do you guys do this? You stand in a line? Yeah, okay. So anyway, come up here for a second. Show us something that you do in, in the lineup. So, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know, some drill or something. Okay. So they get in the lineup and they do these things. And they have one person standing behind and a person standing in front of you. And thank you. <laughs> and... And the black belts are at the front, and the white belts are at the back, and in between is all the increments. And as they're starting to learn, they're, they're, they have in front of them somebody who's just a little bit better than them. And the idea is to watch what they're doing and to pick up what they're doing and replicate what they're doing. But what happens, and that's great because, you know, I am looking at you, and I'm, I'm, you know, solidifying my things, and I'm seeing what needs to be done, et cetera, et cetera. And they, and they said the point of, of not putting a white belt behind a black belt is that as you're going up the row increasingly there are subtleties to everything that a white belt won't be able to see. So it's pointless to stand behind a black belt because you, you don't know what he's doing, really. But you can see the guy right above you, and you can pick up some of that. But what happens, then they turn around at some point. And then all of a sudden, the discipleship process is different. What happens now is the higher one watches the lower one in order to help them in order to critique and teach them. And, and, you know, when they see mistakes, they start to do that. Now, the point of that system is kind of what God does because God is, there are times when we're looking this way and we're looking at something higher that we're reaching into. But there's times we need to turn around and help the person behind us. Why? Not just to help them, that's great, but there's something in you that is solidified when you have to teach. If you've ever had to teach something you think you know, you start realizing that you don't know it. And, that, and so going through the process of taking them into what you're in solidifies something so that when now you turn back, all of a sudden, oh, I didn't see that before. And something is made available to you that was not available to you before. Now, we don't decide these seasons. We don't decide you know, whether we're going this way or this way. And, and it's not one is exclusive of the other and one, you know, this will never happen because that one's happening. But God is at a point in our life where he is wanting us to solidify some of the things we know by imparting it to others, by bringing others into something. So if you love to go to a certain kind of meeting because there's this atmosphere that manifests there and you love interacting with that atmosphere, God is saying, okay, there, that you could create that atmosphere. Well, I think I can. And then God said, actually, you can't. You can respond to that atmosphere when it comes, but I want you to learn to create it because the tear, what's required for you to go to the next level of your spiritual life is solidifying what you think you already know. And it's solidified by impartation to others. And, I mean, God does a bunch of other things in line with that. But God is bringing us into his world. But he wants us to disciple, take others into the world that we're discovering as we go along. That's the goal. So it's a good goal, right? Amen.